The AFC Asian Cup is in full effect, and we are here to recap match day one, match day two, and match day three. Yes, sir. Make sure to subscribe to our channel for all things Asian Cup. We're going to be covering this tournament in full for the rest of the month. So to start off, let's talk about the most recent game that happened, the Iran versus Palestine match that happened in Group C with Iran winning 4-1. to one. Is it fair to say this has been the most dominant display we've seen so far in the tournament? Oh, dude, the moment the whistle blew to start the game, you could tell Iran were completely locked in. Scoring on basically the first yeah. play of the whole game. Beautiful little deft touch from Godos and a nice little curler from a weird so, angle from yeah. Karim Ansari Fard. 1-0, and at that point I was like, oh, no. like <laughs> this, this could get a little ugly. Honestly, kind of did because it was, what, 3-0? Yeah. Uh, like, like by like the 30, 35th minute, by the 30, 35th minute, yeah. and just some really good goals from Iran. The second goal off of a really nice set piece, very aggressive in the box, and then the third goal just another really good finish. So, at that point, I was like, all right, you know, yeah. this game's kind of done and dusted. Don't actually have much to say here other than Iran looked very very good yeah i think it's just such a testament to what we previewed this tournament about iran is their clinicality bro in front of goal with sardar osmoon on the bench still being able to finish nearly every chance they had it was beautiful finishing too very good technique and i do want to highlight for palestine scoring their second afc goal ever i'm glad they had their their moment you could see it in the stands Dude. their fans were very excited for them to get that goal granted they were, they were still down 3-1 when it happened but off of a set piece, it's good to see these things happen because I mentioned also the emotional aspect, the passionate aspect for Palestine going into this tournament. It's important for them, and I'm glad that they got to celebrate a goal in this tournament. It was a really cool moment. When they scored, the stadium erupted, man. The noise was completely overwhelming, so it was an awesome moment to actually see. So, yeah, really good for Palestine to actually get on the board. And I guess Iran, very tough to do, so really, really good for Palestine, man. I would love to do a match rating for every single game here. What would you rate this overall game between Iran and Palestine when it comes to just entertainment, goal score, back and forth? What did you think overall? I mean, just because it wasn't much of a competition, I'm actually going to give them some pretty low score. I'm, uh, you know, maybe like, what, 6, 6.2 yeah. maybe? Yeah, I, mean, I can meet you there. Yeah. I'll go 6.6 because of the three goals we got from Iran were really good quality. And I appreciated oh, yeah. that for what, for what was that first half. Next up, we have UAE facing off against Hong Kong in this same group, Group C. UAE winning 3-1. to one. My question to you to start off this conversation is, who were you more impressed with? Hong Kong or UAE? Really interesting question here. I think most people kind of agree with me here. I, I think Hong Kong put up a valiant effort. I don't think they deserve to win the game. They maybe could have gotten a draw somewhere in that match. UAE definitely deserved it, so I don't want to discredit them here. But Hong Kong put up a hell of a match here. Starting off with a full press, by the way. And I thought it was a really brilliant idea from Jorn Anderson to employ for Hong Kong because why not put the pressure on the UAE to play from the back and to make them play it quickly because they're able to make a lot of turnovers happen in that midfield. And then from there, we saw the energy that Hong Kong played for this entire match because once they retrieved the ball in midfield, they just kind of went at the UAE. Now, obviously, it was done 
inefficiently. The execution was not great, but that's just down to the overall level of these Hong Kong players. The energy that they had, though, I thought was so impressive to see for Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah I was going into this game. I was just curious because we brought it up in the previews. I was like, it could Hong Kong be a nominee for one of the worst teams at this tournament, mm. right? And I wanted to see if that's what they would end up displaying as in this game but i think they showed everything everything outside of that because they, they proved themselves to be a really really formidable side at least in the sense of putting up a really at least in the sense of making uae work for the result ultimately yeah. and what i liked about hong kong was that they, they did have some fun players to look out for everton bro yeah this guy i i love his attitude on the pitch because he knows damn well the talent around him is not there to really play a lot of quick football. So what does he do? When he's on the ball, bro, he's looking to go solo. He's a solo show. And sure, he's not successful all the time. But just that that idea of like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to try my best here to make the most of these opportunities. Overall, his approach, I think, ended up paying off because he managed to get an assist in the game for what was Hong Kong's lone goal. This game was so entertaining, though, dude, because... Honestly, Hong Kong got really unlucky here, in my opinion, because their first goal that they conceded was a really, really just unfortunate penalty. Off of I, a dead play, bro. I There's know, nothing dude, going there, man. It sucked because he kind of just toe-poked it, the yep. UAE player, Sultan. And, of course, the Hong Kong player just has his arm out. It's not his fault. Completely unlucky here. Sultan ends up putting the penalty away very expertly, so it was deserved from that perspective. But, man, Hong Kong got really unlucky. And once they got back into the game, they actually equalized the match. They immediately concede to make it two, and I was just like, ah, just really unlucky moments for Hong Kong. The UAE definitely deserved the win. Caio Canedo, I think, showed that he was the best player on the pitch. The talent on the ball, the filth that he plays with was uh, honestly, I thought, at full display here. So he had a really, really good game. And the UAE overall, I thought, had a solid game here. But I think going forward, Hong Kong proved to themselves that they're going to have a very good chance to at least fight for that third place spot. Yeah, unlucky is the word here for Hong Kong. Uh, I did think it was kind of goofy, man, that like, you know, they ended up drawing two penalties in this game. Mm -hmm. The second one coming off of just an erratic slide, but... So clumsy. <laughs> they, they, they do lack a lot of discipline in the box defensively because they could have had another penalty called against them where they just started sliding at these <laughs> yeah. UAE players and they got caught twice. Ref ultimately decided not to call it. I have no comment on that. But then afterwards, that second penalty got called through a very similar challenge. So I don't know what it is about this uh, Hong Kong team. They're very good outside of the box. But when it comes to defending their own area, they get a little crazy. They get a little trigger happy. And I do think that's just a, a sign of the difference between, you know, a really good team in Asia and a team at like Hong Kong's level that can lack that discipline at times. For sure. When I previewed Hong Kong, I think they're most positive attributes is actually on the offensive end. I think they're going to be very leaky at the back, even when they play against Palestine. I think Palestine will have a good chance to, you know, knock a couple of goals against Hong Kong. But by the way, that game's going to be crazy because yeah, yeah. who's going to like take control? I think Hong Kong will probably have a lot of possession, but I think that game's going to be wide open. That's going to be honestly a really entertaining match. There was a really cool stat though in this game, Hong Kong against the UAE. Hong Kong scored the 1,000th goal ever in the AFC Cup 
But they also scored the very first goal too. Wow. Yeah. Wow. An insane symmetry there. Yeah. Yeah. So just really cool little fun stat there for yeah. Hong Kong. Pretty crazy. That's honestly. pretty cool. Yeah. I think what, what I read that the, that first inaugural tournament they went all the way to third place. Mm-hmm. Like that was their biggest moment and still is the biggest moment in their history. So I guess that's nice. That's nice to see that they added another little statistic into the record book <laughs> right there, bro. Uh, ultimately, yes, getting a second goal in this match, but it ended up being called off due to a handball. Yeah. There's something there for Hong Kong, man. And I left I think it so. thinking. I left to think you know what this might not be the worst team at the tournament mm-hmm. i'm excited now to see how they compete against a team like palestine and who knows bro if they can get a result there that's really good maybe they can qualify through on third place man it'd be crazy but there's that that still is in play for them yeah hong kong will have a very tough task to not concede a lot of goals against iran that's got to oh, be their yeah. main focus expect to lose the game for sure but just try to minimize the amount of goals you concede yeah what would you ultimately rate this game then I'm going to give this one a seven. Exactly. Uh, That's super entertaining. Again, there's a lot of crazy moments that maybe stop the fluidity of the game, but this was just a really fun match. Yeah, exactly what I was going to do. No decimal point here, just straight seven. Next up, we have Japan versus Vietnam in Group D. Bro, game of the tournament so far. Yeah, what it was five goals in the first half. And at a point when we needed goals because the previous match Mm. day two, very little goals, and we'll get into that in a second, but... The game starts off with an electric pace. Japan go at Vietnam. But even within those first 5-10 minutes, Vietnam showed that they were actually here to compete too. But Japan get on the board first, right past that 10-minute mark. And actually, similar to the Iran game, I thought Japan were then going to open up the floodgates and start scoring two, three, four goals. But no, dude. Instead, Vietnam settled down the game and ended up equalizing with... One of the craziest headers I think I have oh, seen oh. in a long time. What was that, bro? What a crazy wow. goal. A looping, flick, glancing header. <laughs> One of the likes that I just honestly have never seen. What a goal for Vietnam to equalize. And at that point, I was like, oh, okay, we got, we, got, mm-hmm. we got a game right mm-hmm. now. 1-1. 15 minutes later, Vietnam take the goddamn lead. lead 2-1. And I thought Suzuki kind of messed up here. He kind of fumbled the ball a bit, and it puts it right into the path of an onrushing Vietnamese player who says thank you very much, and he yep. puts it back in the back of the net. Two one, Japan. All of a sudden, find themselves two one down against Vietnam. Yep, that, I thought that that goalkeeping decision there was questionable, bro. He mm. could even just let it go, and I don't think the Vietnamese player would have gotten there. But that slight soft tap he got on it was the worst thing he could have done. Vietnam goes up two one, and you could feel that momentum shift in the stadium. Sure, it wasn't like sold out, but that Vietnamese presence was felt, bro. You could hear them in the stands, and they were getting excited, bro. The commentator even was like, you know, a little bit in shock, like, "What are we seeing right now? We're seeing the title." favorite go down to one of the weaker teams in this tournament vietnam showed up in a miraculous way i think up until this point executing what i thought was a really good plan you know scoring two goals off of set pieces but then playing with a a fearlessness and then having organization at the back that at the very least forced japan to work hard for their goals you could see that japan was trying out different ideas bro trying to figure out which way to get this vietnamese team and it was taking them a good amount of work until ultimately i think it was uh endo assisted me Amino, who's been on fire so far and had a beautiful nutmeg finish into the bottom right corner to tie the match up 2-2. Once that goal went in, though, you could feel it, bro. It killed Vietnam, man. It killed them. 
Yeah, right before the half, too, man. They just couldn't hold on to the lean. Japan equalized, and then they kind of just pour even more salt into the Vietnamese wounds because they actually get the lead right before、mm-hmm. halftime. By the way, though, a brilliant. Curling effort from Nakamura to make it three-two at goal that moment. Oh yeah, goal gorgeous! Goal. It was a、yeah. gorgeous goal. Yeah, beautiful goal. And then after that, I mean, the second half was pretty much all Japan.、Yeah. Takafusa Kubo comes on, gets an assist in this match, and it's four-two. Japan wins this game. So. I think it's interesting. It's interesting to look at both sides. I think Vietnam is a very, very good team after the showing they just they just put on for us. But then Japan's showing that maybe they weren't at full strength. They didn't have the best starting lineup that they had to their abilities. And yeah, they were down two one at one point, but they still in the game with four goals, bro. Like that's what's crazy. And what was ultimately a shaky match for Japan, they score so many goals once again and show why they're title contenders. That's what's crazy about this match specifically is that. I thought Vietnam played pretty much a nearly perfect game from their perspective.、Mm-hmm. I don't、mm-hmm. think they could have played any better. Yet they still lost the match four to two. They just could not contain the Japanese offense over the course of ninety minutes. It's a really tough task to do. Vietnam, I thought, really didn't make that many. Really didn't make that many mistakes either, but just the pure sheer quality that Japan possess, either on the field or in the bench, that can come on in the second half, it's just too much. Vietnam, though, I thought this was a really promising performance and one that I think that will give them a lot of hope to go through and maybe get a really good third place finish or maybe even vie for that second place、mm-hmm. spot. I think they'll have a decent chance at it because, as you already said, and you know, I'll kind of just echo your sentiments here. Vietnam looked very organized at the back. Not only that, though, when they did get the ball, you know, they tried to play a little bit of footy, a little、yep. bit of nice combination in the midfield, and several times they were able to go at the Japanese backline because they were able to break that Japanese pressure in the midfield. So Vietnam, I, I think, will see themselves going forward as all right. We we played really well today against title contenders. We can see ourselves hopefully qualifying for that next round. Yeah, Gwen Dean Bach, man, that guy balled out. He had a nutmeg at one point.、Yeah. He was really good progressing the ball forward and then. He scored, I believe, that first goal for them. So they have good players overall, and I agree. I think if you're Iraq and Indonesia, things just got a lot tougher. There's a really sturdy and organized Vietnamese side that you have to overcome in order to make it out of this group. So it's going to be proved to be a really tough test. This group overall is going to be really entertaining to watch for the rest of this tournament. Yeah, and just last comments on Japan. I do kind of wish. That they approached it the same way that Iran did, because I'll be honest. Even though they got the goal to take the lead one nil at the beginning of the game, they never looked like they were completely locked into the match, which is actually might actually be a good thing, kind of, because that could show you the true potential that Japan has if they actually go into their last gear. Because honestly, I thought through the entire match they kind of were just stuck in second gear. Yeah, I don't think they ever really. Pressed the issue against Vietnam, at least not the way that we've seen it. But what's so crazy is that they still score four goals. So it, that's the scary part of Japan. I just hope to see them go completely off, you know, score eight, yeah, like t- type stuff. Because I truly think against a really weak opponent, Japan can just score goal after goal after goal. And I want to see that. I want to、yeah. see them. Kill their opponents simply because they can. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, I'm gonna go like a seven point seven on this one in terms of match rating. It could have been higher if that second half was more entertaining. Yeah, but this was all in the first forty five minutes, in my opinion. So I'll go seven point five, seven point seven range for this one.
Completely agree. The second half was pretty much done and dusted by the time it started. So I'll go 7-5 just because that first half had some really beautiful goals and was just end-to-end. -end. In Group B, we have Uzbekistan facing off against Syria, a game that ended nil-nil with Uzbekistan being our dark horse pick mm -hmm. uh, going off of our previews. Syria showed up to this game, though, proving to be a very, very tough team for the Uzbeks to break down over 90 minutes and even showing that they could generate some opportunities as well to take the lead. Ultimately, neither team could really crack down the other team and it ended up being a very tight affair. But what was your takeaway from this match for the state of both these sides? Uzbekistan had a terrible game, truly. The fullbacks could not complete a single cross, bro. Not a single one. And they probably tried like 50 times. Austin Unanov started in the number nine position. At club level, he's an out-and-out -out winger. And you could tell he looked completely uncomfortable trying to lead the line from a central perspective because, I mean, every single touch he had was heavy. He's just not used to playing with his back to goal. He's very used to just running on two mm -hmm. balls, but rather he had to go to the game. And, dude, he just looked out of it. He couldn't. He, I, I honestly don't even think he had one really good moment or one really good play. He had a really bad game. Mashadi Bov just couldn't complete a pass either, man. Every single outlet was straight to a Syrian player. And the thing is, Mashadi Bov's game is passing. So if he can't complete a pass, he's basically useless out on that pitch. Shukarov, right in the center of the right in the center of the midfield, held onto the ball way too long every single time. And again, his passing was just completely off. Faisulayev came on in the second half, but he was kind of nullified by the Syrian defense. Overall, I thought Uzbekistan just could not figure out how to attack the Syrian defense. But that's the thing is that that's only half of it, Uzbekistan having a really bad game because the other half was the mighty, mighty Syrian defense. Good Lord, did Syria put on a perfect display on how to shut out your opponent, man. Yeah. Yeah. They looked happy to absorb all that pressure. And the further the game went on, the stronger the Syrians looked. They thrive what? off of that, bro. Yeah, bro. They thrive like that. What a match that they had defensively, man, because like they looked so proactive in defense, cutting out all of these passes that Uzbekistan tried to do. And not only that, dude, they choked Uzbekistan. Mm -hmm. Every single time Uzbekistan got even close to the Syrian goal, there was an Uzbekistan breathing down those Uzbeks' necks. And it made them so uncomfortable that Uzbekistan could not play their fast-paced football. God, I think you just broke it down perfectly, man. That's literally <laughs> what happened in this match with Syria. Really impressing from the defensive point of view. And... I agree, dude. If you don't, if you're not able to get like an early goal against the Syrian team, if you're not able to take the lead at any point, then Syria's gonna thrive off of that, and yeah. that's what they want, man. They want to have a zero-zero shutout affair with them ultimately getting a goal off like a set piece or just a, a complete mistake. And they almost did in this game, but I think it ended up being offside. Yeah. Or yeah. So it, it, I see, I see the plan. I see what they're trying to do, and I gotta give them credit, bro, because ultimately they shut down what I expected to be one of the most feisty offenses in all of Asia. Yeah, there were so incredible. Honestly, at the end of that match, I was like, wow, really good defensive performance this year because they absolutely deserved this draw and honestly could have deserved to steal this win too. Mm -hmm. I think nil-nil is fair just given that Uzbekistan had like, what, 80% possession at one point. And going forward, I think Syria will really see themselves as 
possibly getting that third place finish above India. That game's going to be really yeah, interesting, man. Like got, all of a sudden, that game's going to be just a banger of yeah. a match because Syria will, I think, see themselves as all right. We have a really good chance if we can shout out our opponents. And as you said, in transition. Syria actually have some players that can do some damage. Number 12, Ramadan, I thought was excellent on the ball. Made such good decisions when they eventually got into that Uzbek final third. So going forward, I think even though their main point will be to defend, I think they can find them. Yeah. I think they can fancy themselves going forward with a couple of players. Ezekiel Am, Ibrahim Esad also really showed up in that midfield, both on the defensive and offensive ends. Yeah, I'll highlight uh, Weiss, the uh, Syrian right back, dude. Uh, he looks and plays like Amrabat, man. He could not lose a single tackle or a single challenge this whole game. Dude. He was a monster going forward and also back in and then also in his defensive line, not allowing any of these Uzbek wingers to get past him. He was crucial as well to Syria's success overall in this game. What's the state of Uzbekistan then going into these next matches? You think they'll just be able to pick it back up and, you know, kind of shake off this ultimately underwhelming performance they had against Syria? They have to forget this game ever happened, man. I think that's the only way Uzbekistan's going to find themselves in this tournament and have a successful chance of getting out of this group. They have to forget this game, bro. Syria put on a perfect defensive display. Uzbekistan could not figure it out. And I don't think they should be worried about that because they know that they can play progressive, expansive football on the wings and centrally. But yeah. I mean, they're going to have to prove to themselves that they can do that at the highest level here in Asia. The second match is going to be crucial for that to happen because if it doesn't, I think Uzbekistan's done and their dark horse chances, I think, are going to be completely out the window. Yeah, I'm going to go with the six, six match rating for this one just because it ended up being 0-0, no goals, and it was such a tight defensive game ultimately. I'm going to go six on this one. Yeah, I, I'll agree. I'll go, I'll go 6.3. I okay. thought there were some really cool moments from Uzbekistan and the fact that Syria was able to shut them out on every single one of those moments, I just thought was so impressive. But yeah, ultimately, very little shots or ch chances on goal. Let's stay in this group and talk about India versus Australia. Australia winning this match 2-0 in what was a game full of so much support, so many fans, especially that the, those Indian supporters, bro. I love that that shade of blue that their jersey has. It was so nice to see, and they showed out in numbers. I want to make sure to highlight that because that was a, a thing that really surprised me. Out of like all the atmospheres we've seen so far, India definitely has some of the best fans. But my biggest question to you about this game is, based on the discourse I'm seeing online, I'm seeing two different discussions. I'm seeing I'm seeing two different takeaways from this match, and here's what they are. One group is saying that Australia absolutely dominated this match, could have won 5-0 if they had better finishing, and that India was never truly in this game. The other group is saying, hey, we lost 2-0 to what was a round of 16 World Cup opponent. We held them to two goals at the end of the day. Don't be too hard on us. It was a solid game overall. We deserve some credit. Which one is the correct takeaway here, or is there a combination of both that exists? I'm not even trying to make both sides happy, but I think it's a combination of both. I really do. I'll start with Australia here. Um, I think they could have won this game 5-0. They just don't have any clinical finishers, but let's kind of break that down. For a decade, bro, they had relied on Matthew Leckie to be that go-to guy. And then even, even early on before that, it was Tim Cahill, right? They had always had defined players in those offensive positions who were so successful, not just for the international team, but also in Europe at club level. 
They don't they don't have that really anymore. And then in the midfield, the creation that they used to generate used to come from Aaron Moy, right? But mm-hmm. they don't have a defined attacking midfielder anymore. But that was the preview of Australia when we first did our video on the Asian Cup is that this Australia team is going through a transitionary period. They have to figure out who are going to be the guys that's going to step up for them over this next World Cup cycle. And I think they kind of showed against India that it's undefined right now. It's it's out in the open. Craig Goodwin, Martin Boyle, low-key got shut down in that first half. They could not get past the Indian fullbacks whatsoever. And then when you look at the creation that they have in the midfield, it's not much. Jackson Irvine isn't an attacking midfielder. He's kind of box-to-box. He's an all-around very good player in the center of the pitch, but he's not... He's not one to put in a really effective through mm-hmm, ball. Mm-hmm. So I think for Australia, they put on a really good performance here, but it's one that is a little undefined as far as like, okay, is this team going to actually go for the title? Ultimately, I don't think yeah, so, yeah. but they did look good. Like, And they, I thought, easily won this game. It was nil-nil at halftime, but the second half, I didn't think it was very competitive, to be completely honest. I thought Australia looked very, very good. It's just when you pit them against an Iran, a Japan, a South Korea, I think Australia have a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I wonder what this game would have looked like if uh, India's goalkeeper didn't have that blunder. Mm. You know, to, to then break the deadlock, that's what gave Australia that confidence. Yeah. And India tried to hold their heads up high, but ultimately it was just too much that the Australians were forcing upon them. But I wonder what the game would have looked like if they would have just managed to stay composed because it was nil-nil for a very long time and it was yeah. starting to get more and more tense. But overall, yes, Australia was the better team here. I think holding them to two goals is a win at the end of the day for India uh, because I'm interested to see how Australia approaches uh, Uzbekistan and, and Syria as well in their matches. So I think India still has a chance here. They still have a chance here to qualify out of this group because of this result. And now their next matchup against Uzbekistan is more important than ever, bro, because this is the place to seek out a draw or maybe even surprise them and get a win after they ended up getting a disappointing draw. So India's still in it, bro. I'm happy for them, but Australia was the better team at the end of the day. Yeah, and in India, honestly, I was really impressed with how they approached the game defensively because, as you said, for such a long period of the match, Australia could not realistically break them. And I do think you can we can give India credit for that because on their one-on-ones in isolation, they shut Australia down pretty much for a large majority of the match. And I do think that is actually down to the Indian talent rather than just Australia having a quote-unquote bad Mm -hmm, game. mm -hmm. So going forward, as you said, like honestly, they might be able to fancy themselves against Uzbekistan because Syria just proved if you approach Uzbekistan very defensively, they, they might struggle. So I think India, honestly, will see themselves as having a lot better chance, at least more so than I gave them going into the tournament. I still have them finishing in third place, though. I don't think they'll be able to get that second place finish. But uh, I think India had a good game. Two nils, not bad. And when they did get on the ball, which wasn't often, let's be honest, there was at least some sort of want to go forward, to actually play the game correctly. I'll give India that for sure. But yeah, 2 nil could have been 3-4. I, yeah. I think what happened happened. Australia yeah. were the better team. Yeah, I'm going to go 6.5 match rating on this one. I, I'm going to go six. I'm going to go six point one. Sure. I didn't think there was that many chances overall in this game, and I think honestly from the get go it looked like Australia were going to win because because that's another thing. Like even though it was nil nil at halftime, going into the second half, I was like, 
Australia gonna win this for sure. Like, for sure. Yeah, but I just kind of knew. Yeah. You just kind of knew. Yeah. I think I'm just I'm such an atmosphere fiend, dude. That I love. I loved how it looked first and foremost. It felt like an early day World Cup match. Australia tends Ooh. to play those games at the World Cup. <laughs> that yellow against that contrasting blue, and the mm. Indian fans showing up like it was World Cup match for them. I actually kind of got this like vibe that reminded me of Qatar 2022. So that's probably why I rate it a little bit higher. But overall, yes, it's in that sixes range. We have two games here to review. We have Qatar versus Lebanon, and then China versus tajikistan let's start with the inaugural match of this tournament yes, qatar sir. facing off against lebanon and winning three nil man putting on an absolute show akram afif and amuez ali turning into shaq and kobe in this game bro <laughs> scoring all three goals and going back and forth absolutely dominating their opponent it was actually really cool to see man for qatar to finally show up in a knockout competitive format since 2019 yeah, the three goals that Qatar scored were honestly lovely. First one off of a rebound, Akram Afif gets onto the end of it and puts a nice little slot finish to make it 1-0. Second goal was a brilliant cross from the left-hand side straight to an unmarked Almoaz Ali, and he bangs it in with, with a aggressive header. And then the third goal, Akram Afif turns on the boosters, glides past three Lebanese defenders, leaves them in the wake, and then he puts a brilliant finish past the keeper. 3-0, Qatar end the game in full party mode. Game, game. And that's kind of the analysis here because I'm thinking from the opposite point of view. Let's say you're a a diehard Lebanon fan. What is there to look for in terms of positives after a match like this? Was there anything from from that side that stood out to you? The only positive I can give Lebanon, and it's a genuine one, is they need to go back to Route 1 1990s football. Mm. Because when they put on their two big strikers in the second half, they actually started to generate something offensively. It wasn't much, but it was way more than they were doing in the first half. Because in the first half, they, I don't think they did anything on the offensive end. But they put on two strikers, one of them, uh, Hilal Al-Helwe, big guy. And the other one was also really big forward. And that's when they started to actually occupy the Qatari defense. So they just need to play a 4-4-2 and just knock balls into the box. Because that's the only way Lebanon's going to have any sort of chance to generate goals. That's all I can give them. Uh, going forward for the next two matches but you know just defensively and in the midfield there's just not much the back line wasn't bad mm-hmm. it, it wasn't bad but yeah it's just gonna be tough it's gonna be tough yeah. for Lebanon and the last thing I will say just because I am so atmosphere oriented when it comes to these things kind of disappointed that it wasn't sold out Qatar's hosting the tournament your team's playing and it wasn't a sold out stadium bro I know the loose sale is huge it's yeah. massive yeah but by the 60th minute, I mean, half of it was empty, bro. People started leaving, too. They loved to leave early. It happened last year at the World Cup, too. Yeah. So I, I think it was more so down to just Lebanon be not being a great opponent. But yeah. overall, you're right. Like, why not stay for the whole, the whole match? Mm-hmm. It's your home nation. But I think I was more just enamored by the loose sale once again, oh, dude. Yeah. Dude, the stadium's oh, yeah. beautiful. Low-key, probably becoming one of my favorite stadiums. Mm. We'll probably never see it again after this Asian <laughs> Cup. But honestly, man, it's just... The way it's treated me over this last like year, it's been treating me so, so good, man. What a yeah. beautiful stadium. Uh, but for Qatar, I do want to say one thing about them. Even though they did dominate, they had majority of the ball, and it ended 3-0, I, I was actually a little disappointed with their first half performance. I mean, dude, they didn't even score mm-hmm. until the very last moment of the first half. I was very disappointed because Lebanon had so many holes at the back, 
And Qatar could not exploit a single one of them for 45 minutes. And just considering how poor Lebanon were, I was like, come on, like, come on, man. Like, ball out. Like, go off. Akram Afif was like the only guy for the first 45 minutes doing anything effective. And I was just kind of disappointed because Qatar were disjointed in the first 45 in the first 45 minutes offensively. They couldn't string together a lot of passes. Their combination play was sloppy, in my opinion. Now, yes, they fixed it in the second half. I'm just hoping that we don't see an inconsistent Qatar where they have a really bad first half or a really bad second half going forward. Because if they do do that, they're going to get beat by a lot better teams. So Qatar need to fix their game management going forward. I think it's okay that they put this performance against Lebanon because it was such a weak opponent. But if they want to see themselves making a quarterfinal appearance, Qatar need to be tighter. They need to be a lot tighter. I'm going 6.2 on this one. I'm going low sixes for this game. Oh, I'm going low too. Uh, just because the goals were fun from Akram Afif, yeah. I'll give this one a I'll give this one a 6.4. And lastly, we have China versus Tajikistan in this same group, Group A, finishing off 0-0. What a clash of styles here, bro. Tajikistan, <laughs> coached by a goddamn wizard. Finally seeing him in person was crazy. That dude has crazy hair. He's a fucking wizard. He's like Albert Einstein. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> and Tajikistan, just their style, bro. It's it's pure chaos with this team, man. They're trying back heels. They're trying scissor kicks, crazy-ass mm -hmm. plays. And, you know, sometimes it works. And when it does, it looks like they're playing Tajiki Taka. You know, some beautiful <laughs> type of football. But then other times you see... You see what China was trying to do, which was just stay composed. Yeah. They try to have good ideas. The problem with China is that I just saw very bad execution from their side. I could see what they were trying to do, but man, they just don't have the players for it, or just they're just not on the same page at times. Overall, the game ended nil-nil. China had a goal taken back, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, oh, but... Yeah. This game was a, a much different nil-nil than the Uzbekistan-Syria nil-nil, in my opinion. Oh, dude, like what? At the end of the first half, Tajikistan, like, like what, 10 shots, mm -hmm. technically? I don't think any of them were on target. And that's the thing with Tajikistan is their intensity going forward was brilliant, especially in that first half. But ultimately, every single chance they had were only half chances. Yeah. If there was a shot it was being closed down by one or two Chinese defenders. If they did get past a Chinese player on the wing, there was coverage coming from the center back position. So even though China did get broken in moments on the pitch, they always figured out how to stop ultimately the final chance that Tajikistan needed to try and get a goal. So Tajikistan looked great on the offensive end, but once it came to that final moment to either put in the perfect ball, the perfect cross or the perfect finish it was always stopped by a Chinese player every single time and so that is what this match was Tajikistan looking great in the midfield but China looking impenetrable defensively and this game honestly showed both the strengths and weaknesses of both teams right we already said the intensity that Tajikistan have going forward I think is their strong suit and is what they'll need to use to try and win games but China's strong point, I think, showed in the second half and specifically the last 20 minutes of the match when they started to impose themselves physically. Tajikistan had way less of the ball in the last 20 minutes, and I think it's because they got tired. That's what I was thinking. They got really, they really tired, energy, and China took advantage of that because you know China just absorbed a lot of pressure for 70 minutes of the match, and they looked, they looked normal 
for the last 20 minutes. Like they didn't look tired, but they also didn't look exciting going mm-hmm, forward. Mm-hmm. But it worked because Tajikistan completely ran themselves to the ground and China started to get big. Mm-hmm. Not only that, they brought on their number 10, who I thought looked great. And then they brought in another big striker. Similar to Lebanon, I think going forward, China just need to play a 4-4-2, have two big strikers in the box and just beat them. Yeah. Feed them because where China will succeed is going to be in their physicality. So if they can exploit that, I think they'll have some fortunes going forward. Did China get robbed though? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's just crazy. And that's the thing. It was harsh. When, in those 20 yeah. minutes, when China started to get back in the game, they got that a happened. goal. Yeah. They got a goal, man. And when you look back at the replay, I actually can see why it was mm-hmm. taken back. I can mm-hmm. fully see it. There's a defender behind the goalkeeper, technically in an offside position. The ball goes straight at him, technically. Is it in his realistic vicinity of being involved in the play? That's where I say no. And to where I would say he wasn't even involved. Though where you could say he was involved is that he was shielding the Tajikistan defender. I just, when I saw that call happen, I just let out a big, ooh. (laughs) That is tough. That's tough because... Ultimately, China did have a great game plan. Wait until the Tajikistan team tires out. They did start executing and get a goal. It happened. It all played out the way they would have hoped for. But then the ref was just like, not on my watch today. So I get it. I get why when I go to comment sections, I see a bunch of Chinese fans really disappointed with that call or just feeling that they got robbed because it's a tough call to concede. But it is technically textbook-wise, the right call. So it's it's, it's controversial at the end of the day. That's what's crazy is that it is like the most textbook call to take a goal back. It's so harsh. It is controversial. But if you open up the manual, weirdly enough, I, I guess the ref made the quote-unquote right call. But my God, you should feel robbed if you're Chinese. Mm-hmm. You should feel robbed. Mm-hmm. Match rating for this one. Match rating for this one. The first half was so exciting just because mm-hmm. Tajikistan, their debut, by the way, and what an awesome debut, especially in the first 45, 60 minutes. I think that one's going to bump it up a little bit for me. I'll, I'll, I'll give this one a, I'll give this one a 6.7. Yeah, I'll meet you right there then, bro. I'll meet you right there. The best game so far then being Japan versus Vietnam. That's what we have so far for the Asian Cup, but I do want to finish off by looking at some fan Q&A. Just how we did our World Cup post-reaction videos, we always left a timeout for Q&A. I want to do the same thing now, but through our Patreon. If you want to ask us any questions about the Asian Cup, sign up for our Patreon and ask us through there. Only five bucks. It helps the channel out a lot, and we'll read your question and answer it on the show. So these are pretty simple ones, and I actually do like some of these, so let's talk about them. First off, our boy Luis Melo asked, do you think it would be a good idea to have the winners of the AFC Asian Cup and AFCON face off for a trophy sim- similar to the finalissima that Comebol and UEFA have. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. That'd be really, really fun. Loki, what I'm hoping happens is CONCACAF invites the best Asian teams for the 2025 Gold Cup. That'd be awesome. That's what I'm hoping yeah. happens. So I hope this won't be the last time we see the Asian Cup title winner before the World Cup. And involving CAF and an AFC together would be really interesting. I just think it's harder for CAF to get involved because they have another AFCON mm-hmm. in two years' time. But to see a, a, an AFC and CAF relationship would be pretty dope. It's cool, man. I, I just remember the Argentina-Italy match at Wembley. Like yeah. the atmosphere felt like one of a kind. 
I know I know Africa or Asia has the stadiums for that, bro. So yeah. it would be a really cool atmosphere and event to see these two teams face off. I hope it does happen eventually. Jonathan Jenks says, hey, guys, looks like I'm first. To start, my question is, which competition has a more competitive cup, AFCON or AFC Cup, and why? Which one's more competitive right now? Oh, that's That's... That's a really interesting question. Honestly, you could probably we could probably make a whole video on which one is more competitive. If I have to give a short answer, I guess I'll guess I'll go Africa yep. simply because there are just more higher quality teams. But honestly, like a lot of times those higher quality teams in Africa disappoint and honestly end up not having good tournaments whereas like the favorites in, in Asia always end up having a pretty good tournament. So when you get to the ends of both tournaments, I would say they're almost the same. But overall, there's more quality in Africa. So maybe it's more competitive. I'm going AFCON, bro. I'm going AFCON because, at least right now, the state of both these tournaments, to me, AFC Cup feels very, um, almost like one-dimensional. Like Japan is the clear favorite over there yeah. with South Korea coming in second. But for Africa, I mean, they're they're so well-known for being unpredictable. They're so well-known for being having so many contenders for the title. I think that's a sign of the competitiveness that the tournament has. I'm not saying it's better overall. I'm just saying it's more competitive. It's tighter. The games have a finer margin in Africa than they do in Asia right now. Oh, okay. So the question is more competitive? Yeah. Okay, yeah, then yeah. actually, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll actually meet you there. AFCON, I think, is more competitive yeah. for sure. And last question from Keenan Anderson, and I guess we can apply this to both AFCON and AFC. Why don't you answer this for AFC, and I'll answer for Af oh, AFCON. Yeah. Who has the most on the line? Either players or teams where this could be a huge opportunity to prove themselves or a chance to really disappoint. You got AFC, I got AFCON. Who's got the most on the line, brother? I want to give two answers for Asia. They have two different reasons. First, I'll go Japan, simply because they are the clear favorites. I think every single person who has an opinion about Asian football is saying that Japan's going to win it, or at least are the title favorites. So simply because of that, Japan has the most on the line because them ha having an early exit would be so, so disappointing. But as I, we said in the preview, I think Iran almost equally have a lot on the line, but for them, it's more so of exploiting their golden generation. If Iran have an early exit, it'll be like, all right, our golden generation will never be truly competitive. Mm -hmm. And that's very depressing mm -hmm. from an Iranian football perspective. Yep. If Japan lose in the semifinal, I actually don't think it would be as bad for them because they'll know they'll be like all right we still have probably the deepest team in asia we can still have a successful world cup but if iran have an early exit they'll, they'll just be hopeless yeah. it'll be very depressing yeah. for iran yeah damn yeah that's a really good answer i think i agree with you there for afghan i think it's really interesting because you look at the top contenders who do we have yeah like senegal for example is there pressure on them i don't think so because they just mm -hmm. won the afcon once you win an afcon i think it gives you like five to seven years of no pressure to just celebrate your victory Egypt, I think, doesn't have that much pressure because I think there's an understanding that they just don't have the team to fully compete for the AFCON as the title favorite. Sure, they might go on a deep run like they did last time, but I don't think anyone will be disappointed if they go out in the semifinal, for example, or lose in the final. The two teams that stand out to me the most are actually Morocco and Nigeria as having the most pressure. Mm. Nigeria, due to the disappointing 2021 AFCON they had where people selected them as favorites, such as myself, and then they completely 
completely imploded in the round of 16. I think after a showing like that, after not being able to go to the World Cup either in 2022, the pressure is on now. And from an outside perspective, you look at their list of players and they have a talented, talented team. So I think people expect them to at least be able to make a semifinal appearance in this tournament, bro. Because anything besides that, I think will just be a sign of what what would be the Nigerian downfall in a sense of them kind of dropping a level at the international game after being so dominant in Africa for so long, continuously appearing at the World Cups and continuously being a threat for the AFCON. I think Nigeria has a lot of pressure. And then lastly, basically the same take you have for Iran. You can translate that over to Morocco. Mm. They have a golden generation. They have to get Civil War II, symbolize how good this generation has been, and they deserve it. And so I think if they aren't able to maximize on the talent that they have right now, then that would be a disappointment at the end of the day. And so for me, it's Nigeria and Morocco as the two African teams with the most pressure in this tournament.